going through a sermon series called Voices from the Church. We've invited different people connected to our congregation, both within and uh, connected through partner uh, churches or organizations to come and speak and give a word to us as a church uh, with a message that God has been burning on their hearts. So this morning, I'm excited to invite up uh, Trevor Seath. Trevor, I'll kind of uh, read your bio as you're, as you're coming up. So Trevor has served in pastoral ministry for 20 years. In 2005, he began to intentionally encourage church planters. And in 2015, this became a full-time ministry with C2C Network. Um, if that's a new name to you, C2C has been a partner of ours for the last number of years. And we've just been um, so thrilled to see the way that God is using that network uh, to plant churches uh, in our nation. And uh, he also enjoys supporting his wife, Julie, as she heads up to uh, heads up Love a Village Mission. Uh, which uh, they started together in 2015 to advance village-based development work in Malawi. This summer, Trevor is praying and planning along with five other former Multiply teammates to launch C2C Collective, which is a slightly different uh, version of C2C Network, uh, which will continue the cross-denominational church planting vision that launched C2C. Trevor and Julie live in Toronto and have four young adult, young adult children. Four young adult children. Young adults. They're young, ad- young adults. I got it. Sorry. I'm slow. So we're happy to have you here, Trevor. Uh, let me just pray for you. So, Father, thank you for Trevor and uh, for the way that you've worked in his life and uh, for the way that you've used him to build your church. And so this morning, Father, we're looking to receive from you. We're asking that you would take his preparation and the ways that you've been preparing his heart, really his whole life, um, that you would take that and you would empower it and you would use it to, um, to do a work in our hearts uh, for, your, um, for your glory and for our good. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, well, thank you. This is a good time of the year and a good uh, day on a long weekend to drive from Toronto to Niagara. Uh, there are there are small windows in Ontario where our highway system actually works the way we want it to, and we're not stuck in traffic. And this morning was one of them, so it's a it's a joy to be with you. As Jeff mentioned, I've been a part now since 2015 of something called C2C, and uh, some of you might be familiar with us. We're uh, we're all about starting new churches in Canada across denominational lines. And uh, boundaries. We work with about 30 denominations in Canada to start new churches. And, and what we're concerned with is that those churches are gospel centered. Those churches are churches that are going to lift up Jesus. They're spirit led churches, churches that are empowered by the Holy Spirit, dependent on God in prayer, and churches that are on mission. And it's been a real privilege to have um, particularly Kevin, your pastor, Kevin Bain, is a great friend and encouragement to me personally. He also serves with us as a trainer uh, in um, cohorts of church planters that we bring together. So Kevin makes the trip up to Hamilton and has been doing that for a few years now um, on a sort of a monthly basis and uh, to gather with some church planters and work through training with them. And, and so we're just so thankful to you as a congregation and uh, to Kevin personally for the support that you provide so that we can be involved in planting churches. Just to give you a little bit of a scope of our ministry, uh, in 2018 we were working directly coaching and training and advising about 107 church plants across Canada 
And the thing that excites me the most is that in those churches, uh, over 650 people were baptized uh, in 2018. In the last few years, we've seen um, numbers like that, hundreds of people coming to know Jesus and uh, committing their lives to follow him for for the rest of their lives, no matter what. And that's exciting to me to see that fruitfulness uh, in church planting. But I'm reflecting as well that there are really millions of people that I drove past on my way here from Toronto, millions of Canadians in this Golden Horseshoe area. Something like one in four Canadians lives in the part of the country that that we share in this uh, part of southern Ontario. And the vast majority of those people do not know Jesus. We desperately need more churches that are set on fire by the Holy Spirit, shining light, a gospel hope into our nation. Uh, And that's what we're excited to participate in. And uh, in this new journey, what Jeff was referring to of of C2C Collective, we just continue to pray. Um, As we were praying this morning in song, you know, Lord, open up the heavens, pour out your spirit on our land, pour out your spirit here at Cornerstone and in the Niagara region and across our province and nation so that uh, your people are uh, gathering together as communities of hope, lifting up Jesus for our nation. Well, um, I want to get into scripture uh, this morning, and if you have a Bible, I don't have any slides. This is a dangerous thing to do in 2019. I'm going to preach a a message without visuals, and uh, so I'm relying on you to stick with me. Whether you have a Bible or not, you'll be probably, um, maybe, I guess, familiar with this story from Luke chapter 4. And I'm going to jump in at at, uh, verse 14. I'm going to read the passage um, that I'll be preaching from this morning. Uh, Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. And we read this. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out throughout all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of, of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll... And found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at his gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we heard you did at Capernaum do here in your hometown as well. Uh, And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens shut up three years and six months. And a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them. But only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. 
And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. It's really interesting to pay attention to how a story gets started or how an enterprise gets started. Often what something is going to become is evident in hindsight when you look at how it got started, whether it's a new business or a marriage or a family vacation or anything that we're doing. Often the seeds of what it's going to mature and become are planted in the very early moments. And this is um, a glimpse from Luke into the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry. And I think that's kind of significant. Uh, Luke is one of three synoptic gospels in the New Testament. It means they, they share a view. And so Matthew and Mark and Luke all kind of tell us the story of Jesus following in a, in a similar way. They're, and that's why they're called synoptic. Uh, but there are differences between them as well. And this is a way, this is a moment where Luke is different from Mark. He's different from Matthew. For example, in Mark's gospel, this particular uh, time in Jesus' life is only recorded with a couple of verses that says that Jesus went throughout the region of Nazareth, uh, proclaiming that the time was fulfilled, that the kingdom of God had come, and calling people to repent and believe the good news. And so Mark just briefly covers this, but Luke goes into significant detail to tell us what that looked like. How did Jesus go about telling people that the time was fulfilled, that the kingdom of God had come, and calling them to repent and believe the good news? Well, it's really interesting how he did that. The first thing that strikes me from this passage in Luke chapter 4 is that Jesus started with people who already knew him. Did you notice that? He returns in the, this is verse 14, returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him was sent through all the surrounding country. And he taught where? He taught in their synagogues. Jesus went to church first. He went to people who were faithful observers of God's ways in his day. He went to the Jewish people. He went not just to Jewish people in public. He went to Jewish people as they gathered in their synagogues on the Sabbath. And in verse 16, it goes further and Luke tells us he wasn't, he didn't just begin his public ministry generally within the synagogues of Galilee, but he went specifically to Nazareth where he, Luke tells us, had been brought up. And he went, as was his custom, to that synagogue on the Sabbath day. So imagine this. Jesus began his public ministry preaching to people who were faithful Jewish observers. They had gathered on uh, the Sabbath day. We don't know if it was a long weekend uh, in uh, Palestine at that time. But, you know, they were faithful enough that they were in church when they were supposed to be in church. And it wasn't just generally Jewish people who were faithfully in church. It was the people who knew him from when he had been a boy. This was his hometown crowd. And we can imagine it wasn't a large gathering like this one this morning. It was a small group of people who knew Jesus quite well. 
And things uh, uh, go quite well at the beginning. The first thing that Jesus wants these people to know is that the time has been fulfilled. And so he uh, stands up to read, and the uh, scroll of Isaiah is given to him. And it's quite amazing. I don't know how this worked and how people like Jesus became so familiar. I guess he obviously had read this well from the human standpoint. He was familiar with Scripture. And in his divinity, these are his words from centuries before. But he finds what we know as Isaiah chapter 61, and he reads from that the first verse. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. All the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to him, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. How did Jesus tell people that the times were fulfilled? Well, on this occasion, he goes to a a passage of Old Testament scripture written 600 years before this occasion as he's preaching in the synagogue in Nazareth. 600-year-old part of the Bible. Because all of Scripture was written so long ago from our perspective, it's easy to sort of lose the significance of the gaps that exist between one part of the Bible and another in, in, in history. And here Jesus is, is doing the equivalent of me standing up this morning and saying, I'd like to read to you something that was written in the year 1419 by King Henry V. And I'm going to read this to you, and then I'm going to tell you this, this word from King Henry V, written in 1419, before Gutenberg's printing press, before the French Revolution, before the Industrial Revolution, or the American Revolution, or the Civil War, or before the Internet, before Snapchat even. This was written, and it's fulfilled today. Even in Jesus' day, so much had happened since the prophet Isaiah wrote uh, these verses in chapter 61 of Isaiah. History had seen the rise of the Babylonian Empire, and then the Persians, and then the Greeks, and then the Romans. So much had happened, and Jesus stood up and said, I want to talk to you this morning about a God who told us things six hundred years ago that are being fulfilled now. And so Jesus brought a message at the beginning of his ministry that says God is in control. God is working out a plan and the waves, the risings and fallings of history, the advances of technology do not change or thwart or diminish God's abiding sovereign plan over what he's accomplishing. And so Jesus stood up and said, the times are fulfilled. But he did more than that because he quotes here from Isaiah 61. Jesus could uh, could have quoted uh, many passages from Isaiah. Some Christians refer to the book of Isaiah as the fifth gospel. It's so full of prophetic words about the Messiah and about what Jesus would accomplish. And so Jesus could have gathered from various places and said, these are words that are fulfilled today. 
But he chooses, I think, from only one of two places uh, that I've noticed anyway so far in Isaiah, where the prophet takes on the first person voice of the Messiah. Did you notice? It says the spirit of the Lord is upon me and goes on to say that he's anointed to proclaim good news and so on. And so when Jesus says Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He's saying God is in control. God is accomplishing his sovereign plan despite the ebbs and flows of history. And God's sovereign plan is fulfilled in me. That person who you've known as a young boy running around the dusty streets of Nazareth, learning how to be a carpenter from his father. I'm the fulfillment of God's sovereign plan. The time has been fulfilled. And at first, this is received very well. Did you notice that? Verse 22 of Luke 4 says, And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? Now elsewhere in the New Testament... Uh, some of the uh, people who know Jesus from his childhood will, will say things like this about him in a kind of derogatory way, in a, in a negative sort of way. Don't we know this guy? How can he be who he's claiming to be? We know him. His, his brothers are with us. You know, he's just a regular guy. But I don't think that's the tone here at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. We read that they're marveling at him, that... They're pretty excited at the gracious words that are coming from his mouth. And so I think the tone is much more like, hey, this is our guy. This is our hometown boy. And the, the promises of God are going to be fulfilled through Jesus, this person that we know. I think we've all participated as a nation, but in, in the success of the Raptors uh, in in the last NBA season. But as someone who's grown up my whole life in Toronto, you know, I, I feel like I can take some sort of level of special pride that a bunch of people not born in Toronto came and <laughs> were recruited to play basketball. But anyway, when something is going well for your hometown, it's a strange thing that we feel so personally encouraged when a bunch of people that we don't know who play a sport that are, we're incompetent in defeat other people who would make fools of us if we tried. And we feel like, yeah, we did that together. I think that's the sense that's happening here. Wow, this is our guy. And they're super excited. They have reason to be excited because Jesus is not just saying the time has been fulfilled. He's also saying the kingdom of God has come. And this is good news for poor people. Like these people in Nazareth who were nobodies, even within the nation of Israel, let alone the Roman Empire. These are the poor that Jesus is speaking to. And they're saying, this is good news. People or captives are going to be set free. Blind people are going to see. Oppressed people are going to be at liberty. This is the year of the Lord's favor. And so the kingdom of God has come. And they have reason to be excited. Which makes the next sort of summary phrase that Mark says about Jesus' ministry at this time kind of curious. The time has been fulfilled. 
the kingdom of God has come. This is a time of God's favor in history. God is going to be doing good things for broken and oppressed people. But then Mark goes on to summarize this time in Jesus' ministry by saying that Jesus went around telling people, what? Repent. Repent and believe the good news. Why would people have to repent? I mean, this is a good news story. God's in control. God's acting in history to establish his kingdom. His kingdom is going to be about good things for people who need good things to happen in their lives. And this is going to be accomplished by a person, Jesus, who's right there and known to them. Well, we get some insight from Luke's gospel about why Jesus' message was a message of repentance. Because things take a dark turn. This is sort of the inverse of uh, one of those American Idol moments where, you know, somebody stumbles out on the stage and the judges all look skeptical. And then somehow when the music starts, you know, and they start to sing, everybody is just blown away. And somebody starts crying. It's probably you. You know, you're watching your video on the phone and your eyes tear up. You're like, this is amazing. This person just pulled a rabbit out of their hat. This crowd that was silent, this crowd that was unimpressed has all of a sudden been won over. And by the end of those videos, you know, everybody's standing. Even Simon Cowell's excited. This is a different scenario for Jesus because things start off very well. Everyone's excited. And by the end of this, every single person who's grown up with Jesus, who's faithful in church and gathered on the Sabbath morning, ready and expectant for a message that God is in control and is finally going to move in history to set things right, primed for this message, every single one of them is going to want to kill Jesus. How do things go so badly, so fast, with such a favorable crowd? Well, there were two things that Jesus says to change the mood. He says in verse 23, Doubtless you will quote me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. Jesus takes the crowds, the, the gathered congregations, familiarity with him, and completely turns it on its head. He essentially says to him, because you know me so well, because you think you're familiar with me and understand me, you are the people who are not going to understand who I am. Now, I started to go to church uh, in Toronto um, before I knew I was going to church. I was taken to church to sit in the nursery. And I grew up uh, in a wonderful church in Toronto. And my parents have faithfully followed Jesus their whole lives. I grew up going to church on Sunday morning and then again on Sunday night. Every Sunday was a little bit like the 8th of September was described by Jeff here. We would go to church on Sunday morning. We'd hang out together on Sunday afternoon. We'd gather again on Sunday night. And then we'd go out for, you know, ice cream or something as a youth group as I was growing up on Sunday night. And then we'd be back in church on Wednesday. 
And then we'd be back in church on Friday. When I thought of not going to youth group on Friday nights as a kid, my mother, who, you know, this isn't the best story to tell her, tell about her. She used to say, what if every other kid in the youth group did that? What would happen then? And so she was, you know, sufficiently manipulative as a, as a mother. And I would go, oh, yeah, that's true. I better go again on, on Friday night. I've grown up familiar with Jesus. I've heard about Jesus from the very beginning of my life. And so I have to allow, and we have to allow, if you've been faithful in church, if you've been following Jesus your whole life, we have to allow these words of Scripture to catch us. Because Jesus is saying that familiarity with Him can actually be a liability to understanding who He really is. It's the very people who think they know him, who think they have him in their back pocket, who probably are not going to understand who he's really, who he really is and what he's really about. And so the mood starts to change. But he goes further than that. He doesn't just say that your familiarity with him, your sense of entitlement to him, your sense of, of sort of, Yeah, just being casually close to Jesus. He confronts that and says, that's wrong and bad and it's going to prevent you from seeing who I really am. But he goes even further. He says, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land and Elijah was sent to exactly zero of those widows. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, but none of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. Jesus, first of all, says, your familiarity with me, your sense that you've got me in your back pocket and understand everything about me is a liability. That's the first thing that he says to them about the kingdom of God. You have to repent of that. You have to forsake the idea that Jesus is someone that you've already met and understood and summarized and compartmentalized and put in your back pocket and now you can get on with your life. Jesus says that's that's fatal when it comes to the kingdom of God. And then he says, and if you believe, if you have a picture of God, that God is coming into the into history and that he is going to establish his kingdom and act through his Messiah in a way that is just for people like you, then you're going to completely miss it. Because this is the way the Jewish people would have understood things. That when the Messiah came, he would act on their behalf against all those other godless and dirty and bad people out there. And Jesus says, have you forgotten? That's never the way that God's acted in history. Think about when Elijah was around. Elijah wasn't sent to help a widow in Israel, he went and helped a a Gentile, a pagan widow in Zarephath. Or think about his successor, Elisha. Elisha isn't famous for healing a Jewish person of leprosy. He's famous for healing a Syrian, Naaman, from leprosy. God's heart is so much for the people who are not like you. And if you don't understand God's heart for people who are far from Him, who look unacceptable to you, who look unclean and ill-informed and headed in the wrong direction, 
then you are going to completely miss what God is doing in his kingdom. And once the people understood that Jesus was insulting them for, for treating him as their hometown boy, and once the people understood that Jesus was confronting them for wanting him as their own personal savior in a way that excluded his relevance for people who didn't know him yet, then they were ticked off. If you're not going to play by our rules and be the, the God that we want you to be, if you're not going to be the Jesus that we want you to be, and if you're going to be for all kinds of people that we can't stand, and for us this morning, we have to think about the people that we think of as being unreachable. Canadians have a hard time, I think, getting in touch with the feeling of hate. You know, we live in a pretty peaceful country, and we're so nice, we're so polite. I think it's easier for us to get in touch with the feeling of apathy. We just don't care. We just don't care that the people around us, the people we work with, the people that are in our neighborhood or our friends at school don't know Jesus yet. We just find ourselves becoming kind of apathetic about that. And I think Jesus is confronting that attitude and saying, if you want to understand the kingdom of God, you don't only have to understand that God is in control and that he's establishing his kingdom in Jesus, but you have to understand that Jesus is king and that he sets the rules and he's not going to be in your back pocket. And he is all about people who are far from God and have not heard him of him yet. He loves the people that we can't stand, the ones that we don't naturally get along with. The ones who we think are beyond hope. Well, the people on this particular morning uh, don't repent. They don't repent at all. They say, well, if that's the message, Jesus, we're not having any of it. Verse 28, when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove them out of the town and brought him to the brow of a hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. From celebrating him to wanting to kill him. But passing through their midst, he went away. You know, I think there's a seed of great hope in the way that this story ends. Because I'm not here to suggest that Cornerstone Community Church is filled with people who, unlike me, sometimes treat Jesus too familiar, who begin to tokenize him, treat him as the, as the Jesus we've created in our image. I'm, I'm including myself in that. That's the tendency of my heart. It's so easy for me to believe that the Jesus I need in my life is the one that I'll create to meet the needs that I've identified and he'll be there when I want him to be. And pretty much he sees me and the world around me just the way I do. And I need to be confronted this morning by this message of Jesus that says, repent. Stop treating me like your hometown boy. I'm the king of the universe. And I'm not here to say this morning that Cornerstone Community Church is not a, a, pa a compassionate church or a loving church or a church that wants to see the message of Jesus and the hope of Jesus go out into your community I think we share that in common, but I also want to be vulnerable enough to say there's a part of us, there's a part of me anyway, that's not much like that sometimes. 
that doesn't want to hear a message about how God is on the move to reach out and go beyond the boundaries of what I'm comfortable with and reach people who are different and hard. I'd rather just huddle up sometimes and kind of enjoy Jesus for myself with the people that I already know and like. So we're in this, I think, together, this this message of repentance confronts all of us this morning. And it's kind of, this this moment in Jesus' life is encouraging because of the messages of God being in control and establishing His kingdom and doing good things in history. And we're a part of that. That's the ongoing work of God in history today, the establishing and flourishing of God's kingdom until Jesus returns to establish it perfectly and forever. So that's exciting and encouraging. But I'm also discouraged when I read this passage because it confronts the things about me that Jesus is saying are liabilities. They're fatal problems in the heart of people who treat him too familiarly and who are not concerned for the mission that he's about in the world. And I need something more than just a sermon that ends by saying, you know, so we should all try harder. We should all go out this week and try harder to let Jesus be king. And we should try harder to be concerned for the people who don't have yet the experience of knowing him and experiencing the benefits of his kingdom in their lives. So let's go out and try to do that. I need something more than that this morning. And so it encourages me greatly that this story ends with a lynching. This is the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. And as I said at the beginning, it's an interesting thing to pay attention to how someone starts something. Because often in how something gets started, we see the seed that will grow to maturity in the way that something is going to be fulfilled. And Jesus starts his ministry proclaiming that the kingdom of God has come in him. But he starts his ministry provoking people to anger. Luke actually twice now in the early chapters of his gospel has recorded a little hint of the way this story is going to end. We've already had in Luke's gospel the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. And as that temptation ends, verse 13 of Luke 4 says this, And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. That Satan said, okay, fine, go ahead, start your ministry your way, but I'm not going to leave you alone, I'm coming back. And I think for those of us who know the whole story, we see there a little hint of the final suffering that Jesus would endure. And certainly here, as a crowd of Jews is provoked to anger by Jesus' claims about his person and claims about his mission, and they want to kill him. Clearly, Luke is including this detail for us here, detail that's not included by the other synoptic authors, to remind us very at the beginning of Jesus' ministry that Jesus didn't just come to proclaim a message Jesus came intending from the beginning to die to establish his kingdom. In Luke chapter 9, verse 51, he borrows again from Isaiah and references that passage that says he set his face like a flint towards Jerusalem. He was like stone resolved. I am headed to the cross. That's in the ninth chapter of Luke's gospel. From the very beginning, Jesus knows what he's coming to do. And he's committed to accomplish it. Why? Because if Jesus doesn't give his life 
in exchange for people like me and you, there is no hope. This kingdom assignment, this hope of God being in control and establishing his kingdom in the world can never be on our shoulders. It can never be accomplished by our work. It's the work of Jesus that accomplishes it. And when we see that Jesus resolved to die for the very people who rejected him on the first day of his ministry, that he loves people like me and like you who tokenize him. He loves people who don't understand his message so much that he says, I will give my life in exchange for people like that. And when we understand that Jesus has done that for us and we say, I just want to lay down this life of selfishness and misunderstanding. And I want you, Jesus, to come in your power by the power of your Holy Spirit. That because you became sin, I might become the righteousness of God. Can I stand in you, Jesus? Because I don't want to stand on my own anymore. I want to be included not just in your kingdom. I want to be included in your righteousness. Would your Holy Spirit come and invade my mind and my heart to change the way I think and perceive and talk and feel? Jesus, make me like you. Our hope this morning is not in some sort of moralistic charge. Go out there and try harder to be good people. Paul goes on. Paul in one of his letters to the Corinthians says, it says, we look to Jesus that we are being transformed. And that's the hope of the kingdom. This message of repentance, it does confront our sin, our selfishness, our shallowness, our persistent, willful misunderstanding and disobedience to to Jesus. But Jesus confronts it so that we will look at him, the one who from the beginning knew that the crowds would turn on him, and he never turned back. Thank you so much. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful that you you came to establish your kingdom. That you teach us and you, you point us to a sovereign God over history who is working to establish a kingdom of freedom and hope and healing and forgiveness and life forever in you. We just confess, Jesus, that we are sometimes far too familiar with you. We are sometimes so far off the mark in understanding your mission. So, Lord, forgive us. Reveal yourself again to us today, Jesus, as the one who saw the angers of the crowd and did not shrink back who for three years ministered to people who misunderstood, who endured betrayal, denial, abandonment, injustice, even death on the cross to save us. Lord, cause us again to cling to you as the hope. Make us by your grace people of your kingdom, people who put you in your rightful place as Lord and King and Savior and people who are about your business, empowered by your Holy Spirit to do the work of your kingdom for your glory. Amen.